everyone, welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. We, I believe, are recording our 100th episode, which is pretty cool. It's amazing how this sneaks up on you. And uh, I can't think of a better person to do that with than Whitney Cuisenberry, who um, I feel like uh, I've been, um, what, what's the, we've been in the same army of, of sorts for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that, Whitney. Yeah, yeah we go back to UXNet. UXNet, the User Experience Network, yeah, uh, which is still a great idea. It's sort of happening in, in ways that uh, we hadn't imagined. But uh, uh, Whitney and, and I and a number of other great folks are, were, were trying to uh, uh, bring all the various tribes of uh, the UX world uh, together, both uh, the professional associations that were scheduling conferences at the same exact time and the local groups who were trying to bring people together. Uh, it's, it's been happening. We, I, Whitney, I think uh, this post-tribal era uh, is sort of happening on its own. And in the meantime, you've certainly been doing a lot of other things uh, uh, in terms of consulting work, in terms of certainly writing. Uh, you uh, co-authored two Rosenfeld Media books, A Web for Everyone, uh, Designing Accessible User Experiences with Sarah Horton, and Storytelling for UX with the late Kevin Brooks. And uh, you also have been partnering with Dana Chisnell on the Center for Civic Design. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that's about? Sure. Well, as uh, people in the U.S. might remember, in 2000, we had this election. And that was when we all woke up and realized that the stuff that we do actually could make a difference in democracy. Uh, I ended up, we both ended up working on federal voting system standards and, you know, doing a little workshop here, a little consulting there. And every couple of years we'd say, you know, should we make this a real thing? And we'd say, nah, it's too much work. Let's just, you know, just keep, keep it as, a, as an advocacy thing we do. And then one day someone said, hey, there's this grant you can apply for uh, to work on voter guides in California. And we did. And they said, uh, uh, you know, we need an organization to send the check to. Uh, and so we, we actually formed the organization out of 501c3. And it's five years later. We're now five people, uh, plus a part-time business manager. So we're a real company with you know, all the things you have. We have a really amazing team of uh, people from all over the UX world, um, different, different, different backgrounds, working on making, uh, sort of improving the design IQ of elections. Uh, uh, everything from you know the little the little postcards that they send you when you register to vote all the way up through ballots and posting results uh, looking at some novel election things like ranked choice voting and how to make those something that a real voter could understand uh, and mainly we're trying to work with election departments and try to get them to be better so we're back at the we're back at the selling UX stage again except that they get it uh, what they don't get is that they have hardly any time and hardly any resources. And we've been learning a lot about how to do good design, usability, UX work in that really um, kind of stressed environment. So uh, the election officials sort of like the keystone species in this ecosystem, or are there other people or other roles that are really important that you're trying to uh, have an impact? Well, we say election officials in a very broad way, because that's everything from the Secretary of State um, in each state down to the poll workers, right? So, uh, but a typical election office is a few people. They do everything from voter registration to choosing the polling places to running the, you know, setting up the voting systems, running, training poll workers, running the election, counting the ballots. And 
uh, people think, well, hang on, how hard, how hard could this be? You know, once a year you hold an election. Of course, it's not true. You hold elections all the time, especially in states where there's things like water districts have to have elections and uh, off-year elections and primary elections and municipal elections. And so they're actually constantly running elections and they're constantly doing the work to be ready. Because if you're going to, say, buy a new voting system or redesign your ballot, you don't want to do that the two months before the presidential election, right? Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not when you want to do that work. You want to do that work in the middle of the cycle. Um, and so everything takes a little bit of time and planning. Uh, one of the, we, we've been working pretty intensely with, a bunch, with uh, several different election offices. And one of the things that I learned, I thought, well, we'll just sit down with them and we'll sort of make up a schedule and we'll look at all the artifacts they have to, you know, we'll redesign them. And the, the calendar is just, it's this constant churn of the calendar. It, the law says that 45 days before election, you have to do this and 60 days, you have to do that. And each one of those laws has a communications piece that has to be designed. Um, and then there's the problems that come up. So then there's all the unexpected things. And if you're going to train poll workers, you have that. We thought, oh, great, we'll just in January before the November election. And they're like, nope, by January, we order our things really early because you get a discount when you order your vote by mail envelopes early. So if you're going to redesign them, you've got to do that in the summer before the previous election. So. Do you find then uh, among those, that general category of uh, elections officials that we were talking about before, do you see a difference in receptiveness or attitude among the people who actually are elected officials? Not just elections officials, but elected officials, like a secretary of state. Do they, in a way, they've been a consumer? Yeah, and county, county clerks who are also the election officials are often elected as well. Right. Um, I, I actually, I actually think that many of the election workers in the world are, are, are election officials are really salt of the earth. They really believe in running a good election and that crosses party lines because they're the person who, when a voter has a problem, they show up in their, in their office with the problem and they, and a lot of them are really good customer service people. Uh, it, it's a... For me, the switchover, it's a whole different rhythm, right? It's so different than commercial UX. Uh, it's not move fast and break things, right? It's move slowly and get it right. Uh, because uh, when you get it wrong, maybe you don't get elected to your job again, or maybe you get fired from your job because in, in a, when there's a political kerfuffle, usually someone gets fired. Uh, I mean, there's always like the double-edged sword of, of should government services or civil services be carried out by elected officials or not elected officials? Do you come down on one side or the other here? Is is, is the accountability better if the official is elected? I don't think so. I I think that um, there's, there's always accountability and the most important thing is that however far you go up in that pyramid, uh, the leadership sets the tone. Uh, when we did a study about uh, poll worker materials in the polling place and what the attitudes of poll workers were, we could trace those attitudes up to the person in charge of that election office. When, they, when their attitude was, we are a team and we are out here, every single one of us, every single one of you, your job is to help run a great election, that filtered down to every single polling place. You know, you, you were talking about timing or cadence a moment ago. That's something you and I have talked about all over the years in other contexts. But certainly in a, in a setting where elections may be happening multiple times annually, uh, I mean, that obviously places pressure on the, the machinery and the officials that are running elections. But 
you know, there's a strong argument that people are making that there should be fewer elections per year. Don't have your governor elected in October or, or December when you're already going to have uh, an election in, in November anyway. But that's what happens in a number of uh, uh, states. Uh, are, do you work at that level trying to not only look at sort of the the design of, of artifacts like ballots, but also the design of processes that take place over time and looking to do things yeah. like, you know, let's, let's get rid of some of these uh, 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 dates in the year and consolidate them. There has been a real movement towards consolidation. We tend not to work at the policy level, but we do work at the procedure level and then at the product level. So um, if you're gonna change something like how you register voters, uh, which is something we're involved in a, a great deal. There's that some things can be done administratively, but some things require a change in uh, regulation that the Secretary of State might control, and some things require change in the election code. So, uh, if you're going to do automatic voter registration, which is something I'm really excited about, which is taking motor voter, right, getting registered to vote at the DMV, and instead of it being this, yeah, you want to vote? Sure, yeah, here's your voter registration card. Um, actually saying, hey, you're here. You're already here. You're updating your records. Let's use all that information and just update your voter registration record at the same time or get you registered to vote so that we're making voting part of the everyday life and we're making government more convenient and we're consolidated transactions. So I think we're starting to see that permeate elections entirely, which is how can we be more efficient? That doesn't stop special elections. I mean, someone quits, someone dies in office. You've got to do something about it. And, uh, Sometimes the, the election officials have more or less control over that, but uh, they seem less concerned about that than I are. I think this is their job, and I am amazed that they can do it just year in and year out and keep it running and do it as well as they do. But that's, uh, I, I suppose, there are a lot of people who have jobs that I don't know how to do. So if, if, when you talk, for example, with officials about things like uh, automatic registration, um, you know, I imagine you're going to get pushback in certain cases that has to do with resource allocation or uh, uh, hooking systems together from an IT perspective. Mm -hmm. um, are you getting any other pushback that's more at a, a policy level or a, or well, a philosophical level? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question people ask is, well, if they're not, if people haven't bothered to register to vote, doesn't that mean they don't want to vote, right? And if we go to all this work to put in a system that will capture people as they come into the DMV and give them a chance to register, um, are we just registering people who don't, don't want to vote anyway? Uh, and the answer to that seems to be no, by the way, uh, that, uh, that, that people actually do show up to vote. So uh, Oregon was the first state that did this, and they did a pretty careful analysis, and they discovered that almost half of the people who were newly registered through their new program showed up to vote in the election. And that's about, that's about, by the way. Because, you know, you can look at this through the frame of opt-in versus opt-out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, um, we don't opt in to be citizens. Why do we need to opt in to right. uh, take advantage of one of the core aspects of citizenship? Bingo, right? Everybody can opt out. Anybody can opt out by just not showing up on election right. day, right? The, the problem is that, I mean, while we think, well, everybody should be paying attention to politics all the time and they should know when the voter registration deadlines are, of course we don't, right? I mean, do you know when the voter registration deadline is in your state? 
Why would you? Right. Why would you? So what happens is that people, as the election gets close to the actual election day, more and more people get excited about it. And often the week before, the day before, they think, hey, I want to vote. This is important. I actually want to vote. And in so many places, they've lost their opportunity at that point. Part of what automatic voter registration is trying to do, what same-day voter registration is trying to do, is make sure that whenever somebody says, wait, I want to take part, I want to participate, they can. And that that decision is not being made bureaucratically. Well, and also that there's a certain uh, cadence that individuals go through in terms of how they become politically activated. And I don't yeah. mean as yeah, no, no, exactly. They may not think about it when the registration deadline deems that they should have thought of it by. That's right. Amber McReynolds, who uh, used to be the election director in uh, Denver, uh, says that the secret sauce is three things, that you have automatic voter registration, so everybody's being updated and registered, that you, have, that you mail a ballot to everybody, that they can choose to vote by mail or they can choose to come into a polling place, and that you have the ability to do same-day registration updates. She said that 90% of her lines were not new registrations. They were people who'd moved and their registration wasn't up to date. So we're, we're a pretty mobile society, and I think we're beginning to learn how to take IT and use it to let government serve that the way we actually live. So let's take this now back to uh, the work that UX people do, like yourself in this context, or could be doing. What are the critical skills that you see needed right now? If you were going to, you know, if you got a, a $10 million dollar, uh, grant, uh, what kind of people would you be hiring to go out and make change? Well, if we got a $10 million grant, I would be putting uh, a UX fellow in every single, at least, state election office um, who would do two things. Uh, they could work with all the forms, right? They could take all the forms and procedures and start leading design thinking workshops, but mostly they would be teaching. Right? It wouldn't be about pr producing a, a product and artifact. It would be about leading the election team, which, you know, in uh, you know, North Carolina, there's 100 counties that run elections. That's a big group of people, right? 138, I think, in Virginia. So there's some large, large it's bodies. in Texas or 800. Yeah, it's like gigantic. So it's a huge number of people. And you can't have a, a top-notch UXer in every single office. But what you can do is you can help them learn to work together on the form. So if every, if every election office in the state has to turn in a record of you know, who voted and how they voted, we could make that form so that it's easy for the poll workers to fill out, so that it's easy for the state election office to consolidate, so that it goes into the you know, results database well. And we could teach them how to do that because they're the subject matter experts. They're the people who know what they do. They don't need us coming in to tell them how to do their work. They need us helping them learn how to add this whole new component, which is thinking about design and thinking about experience to their work. So well, you know, one day uh, I, I hope to twist Luke Rabuski's arm enough that he might write a second edition of web form design, but the, the form is obviously a critical, you know, place that you can, you know, defeat the process. And uh, that's, that's, you know, a, a, mm -hmm. a catch point. What are the other critical junctures that really need to be addressed? Well, I think um, the, the horrible secret of government is that most of the big government systems are 
old and creaky and they're held together with bubble gum. We were, I was at a state capitol yesterday talking to some people from the Secretary of State's office and people from some of the county offices about voter registration through the Motor Vehicles Office. And we're talking away about the challenges and they kept talking about the workload and how, how it, increasing their workload was really going to be a problem in counties that had a two or three person office. And I'm thinking, okay, so you have to review a few more things and, and check, yes, I approve this on a computer screen. And as they talked, I realized that they weren't checking yes on a computer screen. They were taking an electronic file, printing it out, looking at each entry, looking it up in the database. And if it was approved, they were typing in the data <sighs> in 2018. Right, And it's not that they chose to do it that way. It's that that database was set up at a time when voter registration meant that someone took a piece of cardboard and they wrote information on it and they put it in the mail. So we need, you know, government needs to catch up and we have squeezed their funding and we have squeezed their resources. Uh, and then we want government to function like a modern well-oiled machine. And so, you know. Yeah, we just need to like Comcast. Yeah, it's like time, money, and cleverness, right? If you don't have money, you need time and cleverness. And, and so short term, we try to help them figure out ways to solve that problem. Long term, we help the, other, the advocates and the policy advocates and the people who get out there and, and run you know, advocacy campaigns understand that it's not just the policy, it's the money to implement that policy and the will to implement that policy. You know, so it, it does though still sound like, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road, there's a lot of work that has to happen uh, almost at an interaction design level. Mm -hmm. It's it, it, just a lot of micro stuff. You know, I mean, that's what you always think about with things like, uh, you know, hanging chads, for example. Right. But are you, do you feel like um, it's going to be a long time before uh this setting starts addressing things from a more of a macro level, like you're going to start needing to teach them service design or something even more. Broad. Oh, we're already doing that. We're, we're already teaching them to think about it as, so someone says, oh, we have a provisional ballot envelope and it's got a form on it. And we're like, okay, we can't just do that form. What's the letter that's sent? How does it, you know, we need to understand where that envelope is used. We need to understand what happens when that, we know that envelope with the ballot gets back to the election office. Um, and so we think about it as little suites of each thing has a task and they've got, you know, there's a whole ecosystem around every, every form. The form is just the tip of the conversation of an ecosystem. We all know that, right? And getting them to look at all of those together. And so if you said, okay, so there's maybe there's 10 big tasks that you need to clean up. Well, what if you did two a year? Right? It seems like a long time. So one of the things I've had to do, you know, is I used to be a redhead and now I'm, you know, not. Um, because it's all been, we, the color's been leached out of it. But learning to think on a longer scale, learning to think on a scale where we don't work fast and break things. We work slowly and get it right. Just stepping back from uh, the, the nitty gritty of the work, this is an interesting journey you've been on in your career. Uh, a lot of us who've been around for a while and are a little, you know, our, our, the red in our hair has been leached out a bit. Uh, we've taken some interesting paths. What, what's your, your take on, on where you've ended up and, and does it all, does the story make sense? Well, back I, it. well, I think the story makes sense. And I have to say that it's all been serendipity, right? I started in theater. I ended up working in early usability. I did, I got involved in sort of pre-web hypertext. I ended up 
as a consultant, um, I did, you know, what, what the things I did, I ended up writing books. I mean, I got into, I got into accessibility because of, of elections, right? Because I was standing on a stage listening to an accessibility advocate and a security advocate yell at each other about whose rights were more important than whose. And the answer, of course, is they're both right, right? We have to have secure elections. We have to have accessible elections. We have to have elections that invite every single citizen to take part. And so, uh, you know, I, the stories the stories came from theater, and the stories continue. And now, now it's user stories, and we're getting people to actually say words like, "Well, we have to think about the voter experience." Um, so I think it actually does all hang together. And because before all of that, when I was in high school, I was a political activist. So it's it's a it's kind of full circle. You know, I you know, I, I, people go, "Oh, it's so wonderful what you're doing," and it is. I mean, I really, really love this work, um, but. I don't think that this work is inherently more important. I think that that whatever work you're doing, if you don't think about it in the macro, if you don't think about how this work is improving the lives of people, then what's the point? Well, uh, I'm certainly grateful for what you're doing. And, um, you know, as a fellow UX person, I'd like to know what the rest of us can do to, to amplify what you and Dane are doing. Well, I think um, we have a we have a little set piece for it, which I'm I'm not going to do. I think, but I think that starts with um, thinking about who how you want to be engaged in your civic democracy. Might be just being a poll worker. I mean, poll workers are desperately needed. They are the frontline bureaucrats of, of elections, and you'll learn so much. The other thing that'll happen when you are a poll worker is that you might meet your election director. If you don't, if you live in a big city, that's not going to be as easy. But if you live in a town, there's an election director out there and he or she needs help. And maybe they would love to have you help design some of their letters or some of their forms or some of their signage or, you know, just be part of that, that work. So there's that. Um, maybe you end up running for office. Maybe you end up as the town council and you start doing it that way. Maybe you end up working for, you know, ranked choice, ranked choice voting for Maine uh, and you end up in that kind of candidacy. Uh, we talk to people who say, I'm, I, you know, I, I can make a website. I think I'll make a voter guide. There ought to be a good voter guide. I think I'll make a voter guide. And we sigh because there's a lot of good voter guides out there. But um, I think one of the big successes we had was someone who was in a town who's really interested in his town in New England. And I said, you know, there's a great legal and voters in that town. And they know all about elections, but I bet they don't know that much about designing websites. And they would love that help. And he actually found them. Uh, they worked together. He made a, made a new website for them to do all the issues in their town, not just the state, not just the county, not the federal, but down, down to the local level. So I think there's huge amounts of room for people to get involved. And I think that uh, there are companies who do work for government. I mean, if you, uh, so there's, there's that. And whether you do that as, as a sort of volunteer thing on the side or a side gig as a consultant or make it the center of your life, you can be part of that work. Anything you can leave us with that, uh, you know, uh, something we should read, something we should, uh, someone we should know about uh, that yeah. can help us make that connection as UX professionals uh, to the, 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 the elections ecosystems in our communities. So Damon Chisnell and I spent a lot of time writing, and uh, we also spent a lot of time fielding questions from people. And we've started a medium publication called Civic Designing that is kind of explainers on why things work the way they do or how they work uh, that we think are 
uh, sort of aimed to be helpful so that you can go in having sort of had those first three subject matter expert inter interviews and go in knowing a little bit more. And oh, by the way, when your Uncle Harry over some holiday says, you know, <laughs> something silly, you can say, no, that's not really how it works. So you can actually be a bit of an expert. Uh, because I think like any other field, if you come in and say, you're wrong, I'm here to fix it, people don't listen so well. But if you come in and say, I understand you have a problem and I think I have skills that can help you, uh, you get a much better reception. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank Dana and your team for uh, the work you're doing at the Center for Civic Design. Uh, I guess you, we could just go to Medium and uh, what should we search for to find that information? Civic designing. Civic designing. Or, oh, the other thing you can do is on our site, civicdesign.org, we keep a list of what we call irregulars uh, because every once in a while someone calls us up and says, hey, I need, a, I need some people in my town to help me with something. And we tap that list and send out notes. We also send out job announcements uh, from any good, great civic design jobs that we've heard about. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, thanks for joining uh, me today in the Rosenfeld Review. Thank you, Lou.